Welcome to the Border Collie Gig Podcast. I'm your host, Martina, obsessed like you about Border Collies and dog training. Follow me to know more about this amazing breed and to learn from many inspiring dog professionals on how to make your training journey a success. Hey, Border Collie Geek, let me tell you about my membership. I run a online membership called the Collie Club, the Online Academy, and has been running since 2021, um, and it counts now 18 modules, 19 with the one that I'm running at the moment while I'm talking to you that is starting this week and is about noise sensitivity. Um, how does it work? If you have a dog that needs help with any type of training from um, chasing cars, um, not coming back from a recall, not having any impulse control when movement or something exciting is going on. If you want to give your dog more structure and more, more training, there's a module for everything. And there's always three to four modules coming out every year. So even if you go through all of them and you stay a member of the academy, you'll get more training coming every time. You get access to all my webinars, even the ones that are going to come in, come in the future, you get to um, join and watch for free as part of being a member. And you also get discount to work one-to-one with me um, while you're staying a member. So if you need extra help, you get a discounted price because my members are, um, you know, my core students. Uh, some of them have been in there for two years now and they're still learning and we're still growing together. Um, you have different options. You have monthly options, uh, monthly subscription up to subscribing for 12 uh, months in advance. So prices go from £31 to £60 a month, depending how much in advance you want to um, subscribe. And I've worked with people all around the world. It's a great community of like-minded people that support each other and cheer with each other progress and give a shoulder to cry if there is a bad day so you not just get me as a coach but you get also a great community of people that like you love their dogs and want the best for the dogs um i can't wait to welcome you and as always i'm going to leave a link in the show notes so you can learn more about it and find how to join me um Jeanette Stilts, barking for attention, overexcitable, never stops during the day. We try calming treatment for class. Um, so he would listen. If anything, it's had the opposite effect. Still no recall at 18 months. Listen when feels like it. After 10 months, it was great with training, etc. When we lost our old collie and he went downhill from there. The gander now for playing doesn't want to wee or poo in its unless it's dark. So, Jeanette, it sounds like it's more complicated than it looks in a way that it would require me to ask you so many more questions to understand exactly what's going on. Now, 18 months old, he's into his uh, adolescent time, which in dogs, um, especially males, can last, you know, up to two years old or even two and a half. Um, so some part of it, it's because he's an adolescent and he's going through a lot of changes. His brain is not 100% under his control at the moment. So... Um, I have an episode already on barking, which explains all the different reasons why dogs bark and how I would manage them. Um, so, um, yeah, scroll back on the episodes and look for the barking episode, um, for the barking part of the question. Now, the rest of it is the fact that at 18 months old, you still don't have a recall and the fact that, um, you know, it, it, it looks like, yeah, it looks like he's not listening. So, Adolescent is part of it. A lot of and 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 it's it's causing him 
it's not his fault it's not making it he's not doing it to make to make you feel bad but he's doing it because it's making it making it is impossible for him to at the moment sometimes pay the attention that you would like him to now if in adolescent time though um a dog is going downhill to the point that you know nothing is working to me there were some foundations issues so um recall can get a bit worse during adolescent but if you've put the right foundations in which it doesn't mean just giving a dog a treat when you call him um but the right foundations to me are in the recall episode um you know knowing making sure that the dog understands exactly what is the behavior and the emotion behind coming back to you making sure that the reward you're giving him is something that is going to be equal to the reason why he doesn't want to come back and the distractions that are happening around him um so I would go back to foundation like he's a puppy. You know, don't ask him to recall to you when is there is distractions. Go back to foundation and train your recall from the very beginning, even if you have to change completely your recall cue. Um, if you want to learn more about how I train recall, there is an episode for it. If you want my help, of course, you're welcome on the Collie Club and there is a full module with, I don't know, 20 videos? No, not 20. Maybe 12, 12 15 videos on recall training. And of course, we can work on it together. Um, but yeah, so this is what, um, I would suggest. And, um, there is a lot of management to put in place for a dog that is very distracted. And there is also to talk about, um, your enforcement schedule and your hierarchy of reinforcement, um, and understand what is it that is not working. Mm, okay. Now, the reason why it doesn't want to poo and pee in the garden, unless it's dark, I don't know. It's something that needs investigating. Is stress related? Is it fear related? Is it because it's overstimulated in the garden um, during the day? There's too much going on, too much movement. And I don't know. There needs to be more investigation to do there. But it could be one of these reasons. Yeah. Either stress, either. Um, overstimulation or um, something that is causing him so much distress that he can't even think about toileting in there. And distress doesn't have to be, you know, stress doesn't have to be only negative. Overexcitement is still stress. So, um, yeah, it's something that needs needs a bit more um, investigating investigating in the in the issue. Emina. Sarik, um, why do some collies nip and some don't? Um, stalking behaviors that I see in some is just looking at the things they stalk, but it's the nipping that gets mine in trouble. Hello from Croatia. So, Emina, um, when a collie is using their uh, predatory motor pattern, that is what is making dogs and what they are, they're predators, and the collies. Um, most of them will stop their predatory motor pattern when they get to the sheep and they stop them and collect them. But some of them will go further away and they will use their mouth, which is, comes after. So the predatory motor pattern starts from, you know, like looking to the, for the prey with their nose or eyes, finding it with their eyes, stalking it. And then there's the creeping part where they get as close as possible by creeping very slowly, which is the stalking creeping behavior that you see in collies and then there is the chase yeah now if you were talking about wolves and foxes and all those animals that prey similar they, they use the prey sequence similar to a dog then we would see that they then start the chasing and then when they get to the prey of course they bite it to stop it or to kill it and then they consume collies don't want to kill the sheep they shouldn't be anyway they shouldn't want to kill the sheep 
some of them, if they don't know how to outrun the sheep by doing what you would see in a in a trial that is that very pear shaped um, movement around the sheep. I think we discussed this with with James in the in the episode. Um, then your um, your collie will go straight, and it's not that unusual that collies will not know how to outrun properly. It's not in genetically. It's not. Is not perfect in all of them. Um, they have to learn how to do a nice round outrun to go behind the sheep and stop them from running away. They will go straight. And when they go straight, they're chasing. And when they're chasing, a lot of them or some of them, some of them will just rush into the sheep and scatter them around. But some of them will actually use their mouth. It's individual. It's genetic. It depends on the lines. But even inside the same litter, you have some puppies that will use their mouth easily and some puppies that won't. So I have, at the moment, three dogs. And Moss used to nip a lot. His dad used to nip a lot. His mom came from some um, stronger um, cattle lines. So dogs that have some cattles, um, cattle dogs, not cattle dogs, but dogs, collies that also wear cattles, they might have more of a mouth than the one that are more for sheep but that's not even true i know a lot of lions that have just sheep herders that will still use their mouth and it's just individual some trainers some some shepherds would actually want a dog that can bite and then they of course put that bite on cue and they use it when needed a, a shepherd that has a lot of sheep in a difficult condition wants a dog that can nip if needed to move the sheep away from danger or simply just to move them away from an area that they don't want to move from um, if they are going to challenge the dog. So sometimes it's something that the actual person that has developed the line has bred into the dog because they wanted it, but sometimes it's just in there. Um, going back to my dogs, Jock has never nipped a sheep in his life. It's not in him. And Tay doesn't do it unless... Is in a very, he's a bit tired and he finds himself in a situation where he doesn't know how to control the sheep. So he might, you know, I can see that he stretches out and he tries to nip a bit, but it doesn't really touch the sheep. So they're all different. And Jock and Moss are related and Moss will bite, proper bite. And that's the reason why I stopped working him. Um, Jock, for example, never even tried and they're still related. Um, Moss's dad is Jock's grandfather. Um, so they're different. And some of them will nip, some of them won't. It depends on the line, it depends on temperament. Um, yeah, that's that's the only reason. Craig Metcalf, loosely walking, 15 months collie. Why does it seem to be too difficult for such an intelligent breed? Craig, I have an episode for it. So um, go back a bit and, and look for my loosely walking episode where I talk about my journey with Tay which a 15-month-old couldn't walk on a loose lead because he wouldn't even take treats from me on walks. Um, he was so overwhelmed in his adolescent brain and um, he couldn't cope with um, training. So I've explained everything about my journey with Tay and loose lead walking in the episode. So I'm not going to repeat it here, but I invite you to go back and listen to that episode. Um, hang in there. He is young. And it might be going through a phase where that is not an option at the moment. It will be eventually when his brain settles a bit and um, he can cope with impulse control a bit better and he can pay attention a bit more and 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 make decisions a bit easier. Uh, Catherine Williams, our boy barks 
uh, you if you're talking to someone, but only if we are in the garden or at the house. But on a walk, it doesn't do it. It lets you stand and talk. Okay, Catherine. So start rewarding that when you're on a walk so that he knows that standing and, and talking to a person is a rewarding activity for him. Um, so start rewarding him for doing it where he can do it. And maybe introduce a little routine. When you stop and talk to someone, you call him to your side, you ask him to sit and you start feeding him. And then do the same when you're in the garden. So you start teaching him the behavior when he is able to do it, which normally is the other way around. Normally dogs, normally I would say start in the house, but in his case, if he can do it better in the on a walk, then start on a walk. Start rewarding that behavior where you have it and then try to repeat the same where you normally won't have it and try to teach him that that's the same behavior. He can do it in the house and in the garden as he can do it on a walk. Um, yeah, good luck with that and hopefully that will be enough to change that little behavior. Sheila Malk, why does Border Collar Retrieve perfectly for total stranger but not for those who love him most? Now, if by retrieve, you mean retrieving a toy, I don't know. <laughs> I would have to see what retrieve is for your dog, what retrieve is for you, how you trained him, and what is your relationship with a toy. Um, my feeling is that with you, he is um, predicting that you're going to throw it, so he stays out, as Border Collie likes to do, to wait for that toy to fly to him. Um, while with stranger, he doesn't have that expectation. So he brings the toy back because he doesn't know his stranger are going to go to him to chuck the toy or, so it's probably, it's probably built a little routine that he's contextual to the relationship with you. Um, but yeah, I would have to know a bit more to actually help you with the training plan. My feeling is that either, yeah, he's built a little routine. So it could be a bit of, he knows you want to take the toy from him um, and so he doesn't want to give it back, which is not how I teach retrieve. I teach retrieve to exchange with me and I always use two toys with young dogs. So they never actually give up to a toy. They only come in back for a second one. Um, so they understand that I don't want to take away. I only want to give and I want to share. Um, so my suggestion is to try and go back to work with two toys. So it's not about retrieving that specific toy. It's about keep playing with you. Um but yeah, um, try not to put too much pressure on the dog as well. Sometimes when you put too much pressure on the dog, they don't want to come back to you because they know you want the toy, so they keep away. Um, Fox, George, you laying down, excited, overstimulated rather than fearful, and refusing to move on walks if there's another dog person, runner bikes in the distance. So, um, Fox, this is a um, common behavior that we work a lot on that I work a lot with all of, all of my students, um, that lying down is not wanting to move from that situation because they know that that thing is coming towards them and they want to control it. Um, and sometimes is also, you know, they learn that if they lie down, there's no way you can move them. But also sometimes can be a bit of, there can be a bit of fear behind the behavior. And lying down sometimes means that they have not seen until that is, the problem is coming a bit closer. So, to tell you exactly which one is of these, I would have to know more about your dog. But how to work on it is, again, um, working on teaching. If it's a problem of fear or it's a problem of control, we need to teach that teach disengagement from a distance. So um, look at that game, which, again, I talk about a lot. Um, pattern games, 
teaching the dog to call away and turn around and um, engage into another activity so that you don't get is anticipating that behavior and teaching him that instead of doing that behavior, we can do something else. Um, and at the beginning, it has to be done at a very big distance. And then, um, you know, gradually when the dog can cope at a, at a big distance, then um, you would have to try and do it a bit closer and a bit closer and a bit closer. You ultimately, you know, I want to be able to call my dog away from a down. So um, having a good a good whiplash turn, which is one of the pattern games, um, having a good recall away, having um, a good disengagement from whatever is coming towards them. These are the main blocks of things I would work on. Um, using a toy as well to disengage the dog away, come and tug with me instead of fixating um, on what's coming towards you. Um, okay, Sonia Coleman. Um, two dogs and food aggression. My challenge is that I have two dogs and both love food. One is especially food aggressive, so we have to be super careful, which we are. However, when we are preparing supper, it will guard over the food we are preparing and attack the dog if she's near. And Hunter will also attack the dog if she goes near the pantry. How do I let Hunter know or train Hunter not to do this? Hunter is six and a half months old and weights 75 pounds and our border collie is three and weights 40. I have a food aggression dog, a food aggressive dog in the house, Sonia, so I understand exactly what you're going through. Um, every situation is different um, depending on the space you have around you, but um, I will give you two um, options. One option would be to teach both dogs to be on their raised beds or platforms or, you know, mats away from the cooking space. Of course, you have to teach this before you're introducing cooking and food in the, in the situation. I would have I would start with having them on their own mats in the kitchen um, while you're doing something else. You're having a cup of tea, you're reading a book, you're doing something else. So they both have to be able to stay on a mat, not release until you ask them to. You need to be able to move around, you need to be able to open your cupboard, you need to be able to open your fridge, you need to be able to, um, you know, move things around before even food is involved. When you get to that stage, then I would start gradually to introduce um, you um, cooking, maybe with someone else rewarding them for staying on their mats. Now, the mats have to be at a distance so that the one that is food guarding doesn't feel the need to go and tell the other one off because it's too close to the treats they're receiving on his bed. So um, I would always consider having maybe initially the food guarder in a crate. So there is no risk of that dog attacking the other one. But the concept is while I'm cooking, you are not near me. You're not near the food. You are on your own stations and you wait your turn for me to come and give you a treat. Um, now, if your dog attacking the other dog is a risk of a bite, then the other option that I'm giving you is that that dog has to be muzzle trained. So we have a food guarder, and although she will only guard every once in a while, the once in a while time that she guards, she does put sometimes a hole in the other dogs. And she's very subtle in his behavior. And if we are not paying attention to her, we don't see it. Other dogs might not even notice, and she's gone for one of them. So she has a muzzle on if she's around food. If you're cooking or eating and she's with the other dogs, she's got a muzzle on. Now, with the muzzle on, she had a couple of times when she had a go at the other dogs, but the other dogs will just stand still and wait for her to finish or wait for us to tell her to finish. Um, and they won't attack her back. And that, you know, that doesn't escalate for us because our dogs don't 
go back to her. Of course, um, if that's the case of your collie, then I would definitely muzzle train him. But still, I would if if muzzle train, you will still have a go at your other dog. Then I would consider um, boundary training so that they are not free to go around the kitchen while you're cooking. You can completely train. If you can train a dog not to guard, but there needs to be boundaries, so the dog knows exactly what their boundary is. Um, at six and a half, oh, Anthony is six and a half months old, so he's still a puppy. So there's still a lot of work you can do. I would also work on. I'm a dog. Um, I'm a control unleashed um, certified instructor, Sonia, and Leslie McDavid has developed a protocol for resource guarding, which is called. Uh, voluntary sharing so since he's still a puppy um i would definitely consider start training some voluntary sharing between them which means that he's going to learn that if she gets food first he gets food second and he's in charge of starting that sequence so he doesn't have to feel like he's going to lose out of having something he's very young i really really recommend to start looking into training some positive um, um, resource guarding protocols with him and as I said many times I'm here Sonia if you want to book a chat on zoom just let me know um, send me a message you know how to reach me um, on the group or on my website and I'm happy to chat you through a few options but don't leave it to developing something more serious okay Liam Butsim my girl freaks out when the postal carrier comes she barks loud and frantically Sometimes she bumps into the window in her effort and I worry she might hurt herself. She's friendly with other visitors, but nothing I've tried since to correct this problem. So it's probably due to fear or guarding um, or maybe because the postman is dressed in some colourful um, bright orange or something else that might trigger a dog. Um, so I wouldn't have her in the window where she can see what the postman where the postman is coming. If I have a dog that is crazy barking at the window that window is not available to my dogs because they will yeah as you said hurt themselves and then we keep repeating that behavior escalating the behavior to a level that is then difficult to retrain um the reactivity to stranger we mentioned in the previous episode goes to here as well you know it's it's, it's teaching her that she can offer alternative behaviors when that person is approaching the house um, now, you normally know what time, unless you are meaning about any type of postal carrier, so not just the postman, but anyone during the day can drop a delivery. Then it's a bit different because it's, there's a random um, element. But if, you know, our postman comes every day at the same time. So I can actually put a plan in place so that at that specific time of the day, I've got my treats out and I'm training my dogs to sit, for example, on their hot zone, on their spot in the house, and actually be rewarded for being calm in another room where they can't see the postman coming, but they can hear it coming. All the training that you do, guys, have to start far away from the problem, not right next to it. So it's going to be teaching, putting a plan in place to teach her to be calmer when that is going on. Um, you can't correct the problem. It's not exactly the right word. You have to teach her that it's not that bad when that postman is coming and she can offer an alternative behavior. Tracy Gooch 
attention seeking and action prompting whining and barking she starts this when i arrive home from work and will continue throughout the evening when i make dinner and do other chores training and play times are kept short to keep her arousal down and she gets one to two hour of quiet time with a chew in her crate okay tracy um i would send you back to my episode on barking um because that has a lot of inputs already and i think um I think the, the, the thing is, I, I don't know, it, I would have to talk to you about, you know, how long is she staying on her own? What do you do before you go out? What, you, what do you do when you come back? Um, do you do any, any mental training with her? Do you do any, um, you know, any kind of other training? You know, it, probably what you're doing with her is not satisfying her enough and she's frustrated about it. So it's about probably re, re-looking at your... Um, engagement with her and modify it a bit and give her more mental stimulation and give her more things you know more, more things to actually make her happy about her um, her time with you so more quality time with you and then when you can't pay attention to her she needs to know that okay this is your downtime which if it means having her in a crate or having her in another room or having her out in the garden chewing on something and and you know if you're doing something that you can't pay attention to her instead of having to tell her off all the time then i would have her somewhere else where she can relax a bit there are times where um jock is very demanding my jock and there are times where i can't move around the house without him being in front of me to try to stop me doing something because he wants me to interact with him and if i can't in that specific moment then he goes somewhere where it doesn't have to do it he can relax away from me um so sometimes we have to say okay you know what now i need to do this and i can't pay attention to you so go somewhere else and do something else and then when i finish here then we can do 15 minutes of training um, so look into mental stimulation with you more training tricks and um, we're going to be doing on the colleague club um, um, shaping next time next as next module um, so that's something else that you can do easily in the house with her and it doesn't take a long time to prep for shaping some behaviors but it does help them using their brain and do some mental stimulation um, I'm going to I'm just going to stop recording and start another audio because um, it's only lasting 30 minutes and these episodes are getting quite long. Um, Jeanette Stills, barking for attention, overexcitable, never stops during the day. We tried calming treatment for class um, so he would listen, if anything... It's had the opposite effect. Still no recall at 18 months. Listen when feels like it. Up to 10 months, it was great with training, etc. When we lost our old collie and he went downhill from there. The gun is now for playing, doesn't want to wee or poo in its unless it's dark. So, Jeanette, it sounds like it's more complicated than it looks in a way that it would require me to ask you so many more questions to understand exactly what's going on. Now, 18 months old, he's into his uh, adolescent time, which in dogs... Um, especially males can last, you know, up to two years old or even two and a half. Um, so some part of it, it's because he's an adolescent and he's going through a lot of changes. His brain is not 100% under his control at the moment. So um, I have an episode already on barking, which explains all the different reasons why dogs bark and how I would manage them. Um, so, um, yeah, 
scroll back on the episodes and look for the barking episode um, for the barking part of the question. Now, the rest of it is the fact that at 18 months old, you still don't have a recall. And the fact that, um, you know, it, it, it looks like, yeah, it looks like he's not listening. So adolescent is part of it. A lot of, and, and, and it's, it's causing him, it's not his fault. It's not making it, he's not doing it to make, to make you feel bad, but he's doing it because it's making it, making it, it's impossible for him to, at the moment, sometimes pay the attention that you would like him to. Now, if in adolescent time, though, um, a dog is going downhill to the point that, you know, nothing is working. To me, there were some foundations issues. So um, a recall can get a bit worse during adolescent. But if you've put the right foundations in, which it doesn't mean just giving a dog a treat when you call him. Um, but the right foundations to me are in the recall episode. Um, you know, knowing, making sure that the dog understands exactly what is the behavior and the emotion behind coming back to you, making sure that the reward you're giving him is something that is going to be equal to the reason why he doesn't want to come back and the distractions that are happening around him. Um, so I would go back to foundation like he's a puppy. You know, don't ask him to recall to you when is, there is distractions. Go back to foundation and train your recall from the very beginning, even if you have to change completely your recall cue. Um, if you want to learn more about how I train recall, there is an episode for it. If you want my help, of course, you're welcome on the Collie Club and there is a full module with, I don't know, 20 videos? No, not 20. Maybe 12, 12 15 videos on recall training. And of course, we can work on it together. Um, but yeah. So this is what um, I would suggest. And um, there is a lot of management to put in place for a dog that is very distracted. And there is also to talk about um, your enforcement schedule and your hierarchy of reinforcement um, and understand what is it that is not working. Mm, OK, now the reason why he doesn't want to put and pee in the garden unless it's dark, I don't know. It's something that needs investigating. Is stress related? Is it fear related? Is it because he's overstimulated in the garden um, during the day, there's too much going on, too much movement. And I don't know, there needs to be more investigation to do there. But it could be one of these reasons. Yeah, either stress, either um, overstimulation or um, something that is causing him so much distress that he can't even think about toilet seat in there. And distress doesn't have to be, you know, Stress doesn't have to be only negative. Overexcitement is still stress. So, um, yeah, it's something that needs needs a bit more um, investigating, investigating in the, in the issue. Emina Psarik, um, why do some collies nip and some don't? Um, stalking behaviours that I see in some is just looking at the things they stalk. But it's the nipping that gets mine in trouble. Hello from Croatia. So, Emina... Um, when a collie is using their uh, predatory motor and pattern, that is what is making dogs and what they are, they are predators. And the collies, um, most of them will stop their predatory motor and pattern when they get to the sheep and they stop them and collect them. But some of them will go fur further away and they will use their mouth, which is, comes after. So the predatory motor pattern starts from, you know, like looking to the, for the prey with their nose or eyes, finding it with their eyes, stalking it. And then there's the creeping part where they get as close as possible by creeping very slowly, which is the stalking, creeping behavior that you see in collies. And then there is the chase. Yeah. Now, if you were talking about wolves and foxes and all those animals that 
prey similar, they, they use the prey sequence similar to a dog, then we would see that they then start the chasing. And then when they get to the prey, of course, they bite it to stop it or to kill it. And then they consume. Collies don't want to kill the sheep. They shouldn't be. Anyway, they shouldn't want to kill the sheep. But some of them, if they don't know how to outrun the sheep by doing what you would see in a, in a trial that is that very pear-shaped um, movement around the sheep, I think we discussed this with, with James in the, in the episode, um, then your, um, your collie will go straight. And it's not that unusual that collies will not know how to outrun properly. It's not in, genetically, it's not... Is not perfect in all of them. Um, they have to learn how to do a nice round outrun to go behind the sheep and stop them from running away. They will go straight. And when they go straight, they're chasing. And when they're chasing, a lot of them or some of them, some of them will just rush into the sheep and scatter them around. But some of them will actually use their mouth. It's individual, it's genetic, it depends on the lines, but even inside the same litter, you have some puppies that will use their mouth easily and some puppies that won't. So I have, at the moment, three dogs, and Moss used to nip a lot. His dad used to nip a lot. His mom came from some um, stronger um, cattle lines. So dogs that have some cattles, um, cattle dogs, and not cattle dogs, but dogs, Collies that also wear cattles, they might have more of a mouth than the one that are more for sheep. But that's not even true. I know a lot of lions that have just sheep herders that will still use their mouth. And it's just individuals. Some trainers, some, some shepherds will actually want a dog that can bite. And then they, of course, put that bite on cue and they use it when needed. A, a shepherd that has a lot of sheep in a difficult condition wants a dog that can nip if needed to move the sheep away from danger or simply just to move them away from an area that they don't want to move from um, if they are going to challenge the dog. So sometimes it's something that the actual person that has developed the line has breed into the dog because they wanted it, but sometimes it's just in there. Um, going back to my dogs, Jock has never nipped a sheep in his life. It's not in him. And Tay doesn't do it unless is in a very he's a bit tired and he finds himself in a situation where he doesn't know how to control the sheep so he might you know i can see that he stretches out and he tries to nip a bit but it doesn't really touches the sheep so they're all different and jock and moss are related and moss will bite proper bite and that's the reason why i stopped working him um jock for example never even tried and they're still related um moss's dad is jock's grandfather um so they're different and some of them will nip, some of them won't. It depends on the line, it depends on temperament. Um, yeah, that's that's the only reason. Craig Metcalf, loosely walking, 15 months collie. Why does it seem to be so difficult for such an intelligent breed? Craig, I have an episode for it. So um, go back a bit and, and look for my loosely walking episode where I talk about my journey with Tay which a 15-month-old couldn't walk on a loose lead because he wouldn't even take treats from me on walks. Um, he was so overwhelmed in his adolescent brain and um, he couldn't cope with um, training. So I've explained everything about my journey with Tay and loose lead walking in the episode. So I'm not going to repeat it here, but I invite you to go back and listen to that episode. Um, hang in there. He is young. And it might be going through a phase where that is not an option at the moment. It will be eventually, 
when his brain settles a bit and um, he can cope with impulse control a bit better and he can pay attention a bit more and 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 make decisions a bit easier. Uh, Catherine Williams, our boy barks at you if you're talking to someone, but only if we are in the garden or at the house. But on a walk, he doesn't do it. He lets you stand and talk. Okay, Catherine. So start rewarding that when you're on a walk so that he knows that standing and, and talking to a person is a rewarding activity for him. Um, so start rewarding him for doing it where he can do it. And maybe introduce a little routine. When you stop and talk to someone, you call him to your side, you ask him to sit and you start feeding him. And then do the same when you're in the garden. So you start teaching him the behavior when he is able to do it, which normally is the other way around. Normally dogs, normally I would say start in the house, but in his case, if he can do it better in the on a walk, then start on a walk. Start rewarding that behavior where you have it and then try to repeat the same where you normally won't have it and try to teach him that that's the same behavior. He can do it in the house and in the garden as he can do it on a walk. Um, yeah, good luck with that and hopefully that will be enough to change that little behavior. Sheila Malk, why does Border Collar Retrieve perfectly for total stranger but not for those who love him most? Now, if by retrieve, you mean retrieving a toy, I don't know. <laughs> I would have to see what retrieve is for your dog, what retrieve is for you, how you trained him, and what is your relationship with a toy. Um, my feeling is that with you, he is um, predicting that you're going to throw it, so he stays out, as Border Collie likes to do, to wait for that toy to fly to him. Um, while with stranger he doesn't have that expectation so he brings the toy back because he doesn't know his stranger are going to go to him to chuck the toy or so it's probably it's probably built a little routine that he's contextual to the relationship with you um, but yeah I would have to know a bit more to actually help you with the training plan my feeling is that either yeah he's built a little routine so it could be a bit of he knows you want to take the toy from him um, and so he doesn't want to give it back, which is not how I teach retrieve. I teach retrieve to exchange with me and I always use two toys with young dogs. So they never actually give up to a toy. They only come in back for a second one. Um, so they understand that I don't want to take away. I only want to give and I want to share. Um, so my suggestion is to try and go back to work with two toys. So it's not about retrieving that specific toy. It's about keep playing with you. Um but yeah, um, try not to put too much pressure on the dog as well. Sometimes when you put too much pressure on the dog, they don't want to come back to you because they know you want the toy, so they keep away. Um, Fox, George, you laying down, excited, overstimulated rather than fearful, and refusing to move on walks if there's another dog person, runner bikes in the distance. So, um, Fox, this is a um, common behavior that we work a lot on that I work a lot with all of, all of my students, um, that lying down is not wanting to move from that situation because they know that that thing is coming towards them and they want to control it. Um, and sometimes is also, you know, they learn that if they lie down, there's no way you can move them. But also sometimes can be a bit of, there can be a bit of fear behind the behavior. And lying down sometimes means that they have not seen until that is, the problem is coming a bit closer. So, to tell you exactly which one is of these, I would have to know more about your dog. But how to work on it is, again, um, 
working on teaching if it's a problem of fear or it's a problem of control we need to teach that teach this engagement from a distance so um look at that game which again i talk about a lot um pattern games teaching the dog to call away and turn around and um, engage into another activity so that you don't get is anticipating that behavior and teaching him that instead of doing that behavior we can do something else um, and at the beginning it has to be done at a very big distance and then um, you know gradually when the dog can cope at a, at a big distance then um, you would have to try and do it a bit closer and a bit closer and a bit closer ultimately you know I want to be able to call my dog away from a down so um, having a good a good whiplash turn which is one of the pattern games um, having a good recall away, having um, a good disengagement from whatever is coming towards them. These are the main blocks of things I would work on. Um, using a toy as well to disengage the dog away, come and tug with me instead of fixating um, on what's coming towards you. Um, okay, Sonia Coleman. Um Two dogs and food aggression. My challenge is that I have two dogs and both love food. One is especially food aggressive, so we have to be super careful, which we are. However, when we are preparing supper, it will guard over the food we are preparing and attack the dog if she's near. And Hunter will also attack the dog if she goes near the pantry. How do I let Hunter know or train Hunter not to do this? Hunter is six and a half months old and weights 75 pounds. And our border collie is three and weights 40. I have a food aggression dog, a food aggressive dog in the house, Sonia. So I understand exactly what you're going through. Um, every situation is different um, depending on the space you have around you. But um, I will give you two um, options. One option would be to teach both dogs to be on their raised beds or platforms or, you know, mats away from the cooking space. Of course, you have to teach this before you're introducing cooking and food in the in the situation i would have i would start with having them on their own mats in the kitchen um while you're doing something else you're having a cup of tea you're reading a book you're doing something else so they both have to be able to stay on a mat not release until you ask them to you need to be able to move around you need to be able to open your cupboard you need to be able to open your fridge you need to be able to um you know move things around before even food is involved when you get to that stage, then I would start gradually to introduce um, you um, cooking, maybe with someone else rewarding them for staying on their mats. Now, the mats have to be at a distance so that the one that is food guarding doesn't feel the need to go and tell the other one off because it's too close to the treats they're receiving on his bed. So um, I would always consider having maybe initially the food guarder in a crate. So there is no risk of that dog attacking the other one. But the concept is, while I'm cooking, you are not near me. You're not near the food. You are on your own stations and you wait your turn for me to come and give you a treat. Um, now, if your dog attacking the other dog is a risk of a bite, then the other option that I'm giving you is that that dog has to be muzzle trained. So we have a food guarder. And although she will only guard every once in a while, the once in a while time that she guards, she does put sometimes a hole in the other dogs. And she's very subtle in his behavior. And if we are not paying attention to her, we don't see it. Other dogs might not even notice and she's gone for one of them. So she has a muzzle on if she's around food. 
if you're cooking or eating and she's with the other dogs, she's got a muzzle on. Now, with a muzzle on, she had a couple of times when she had a go at the other dogs, but the other dogs will just stand still and wait for her to finish or wait for us to tell her to finish. Um, and they won't attack her back. And that, you know, that doesn't escalate for us because our dogs don't go back to her. Of course, um, if that's the case of your collie, then I would definitely muzzle train him. But still, I would, if, if muzzle train, you will still have a go at your other dog, then I would consider um, boundary training so that they are not free to go around the kitchen while you're cooking. You can't completely train. If, if You can train a dog not to guard, but there needs to be boundaries. So the dog knows exactly what their boundary is. Um, at six and a half... Oh, Hunter is six and a half months old, so he's still a puppy. So there's still a lot of work you can do. I would also work on. I'm a dog. Uh, I'm a control and leash um, certified instructor, Sonia, and Leslie McDavid has developed a protocol for resource guarding, which is called uh, voluntary sharing. So since he's still a puppy, um, I would definitely consider start training some voluntary sharing between them which means that he's going to learn that if she gets food first he gets food second and he's in charge of starting that sequence so he doesn't have to feel like he's going to lose out of having something he's very young i really really recommend to start looking into training some positive um, um resource guarding protocols with him and as I said many times, I'm here, Sonia. If you want to book a chat on Zoom, just let me know. Um, send me a message. You know how to reach me um, on the group or on my website. And I'm happy to chat you through a few options. But don't leave it to developing something more serious. Okay, Liam Butsim. My girl freaks out when the postal carrier comes. She barks loud and frantically. Sometimes she bumps into the window in her effort and I worry she might hurt herself. She's friendly with other visitors, but nothing I've tried since to correct this problem. So it's probably due to fear or guarding um, or maybe because the postman is dressed in some colourful um, bright orange or something else that might trigger a dog. Um, so I wouldn't have her in the window where she can see what the postman, where the postman is coming. If I have a dog that is crazy barking at the window that window is not available to my dogs because they will yeah as you said hurt themselves and then we keep repeating that behavior escalating the behavior to a level that is then difficult to retrain um the reactivity to stranger we mentioned in the previous episode goes to here as well you know it's it's, it's teaching her that she can offer alternative behaviors when that person is approaching the house um, now, you normally know what time, unless you are meaning about any type of postal carrier, so not just the postman, but anyone during the day can drop a delivery. Then it's a bit different because it's, there's a random um, element. But if, you know, our postman comes every day at the same time. So I can actually put a plan in place so that at that specific time of the day, I've got my treats out and I'm training my dogs to sit, for example, on their hot zone, on their spot in the house and actually be rewarded for being calm in another room where they can't see the postman coming, but they can hear it coming. All the training that you do, guys, have to start far away from the problem, not right next to it. So it's going to be teaching, putting a plan in place to teach her to be calmer when that is going on. Um, you can't correct the problem. It's not exactly the right word. You have to teach her that it's not 
that bad when that postman is coming and she can offer an alternative behavior. Tracy Gooch, attention-seeking and action-prompting, whining and barking. She starts this when I arrive home from work and will continue throughout the evening when I make dinner and do other chores. Training and play times are kept short to keep her arousal down and she gets one to two hours of quiet time with a chew in her crate. Okay, Tracy. Um, I would send you back to my episode on barking. Um, because that has a lot of inputs already. And I think... Um, I think the, the, the thing is, I, I don't know, it, I would have to talk to you about, you know, how long is she staying on her own? What do you do before you go out? What, you, what do you do when you come back? Um, do you do any, any mental training with her? Do you do any, um, you know, any kind of other training? You know, it, probably what you're doing with her is not satisfying her enough and she's frustrated about it. So it's about probably re, re-looking at your... Um, engagement with her and modify it a bit and give her more mental stimulation and give her more things, you know, more, more things to actually make her happy about her um, her time with you. So more quality time with you. And then when you can't pay attention to her, she needs to know that, okay, this is your downtime, which if it means having her in a crate or having her in another room or having her out in the garden chewing on something. And, and you know, if you're doing something that you can't pay attention to her, instead of having to tell her off all the time, then I would have her somewhere else where she can relax a bit. There are times where um, Jock is very demanding, my Jock, and there are times where I can't move around the house without him being in front of me to try to stop me doing something because he wants me to interact with him. And if I can't in that specific moment, then he goes somewhere where it doesn't have to do it. He can relax away from me. Um, so sometimes we have to say, okay, you know what? Now I need to do this and I can't pay attention to you. So go somewhere else and do something else. And then when I finish here, then we can do 15 minutes of training. Um, so look into mental stimulation with you more. Training tricks. And um, we're going to be doing on the Collie Club... Um, um, shaping next time, next as next module. Um, so that's something else that you can do easily in the house with her, and it doesn't take a long time to prep for shaping some behaviors, but it does help them using their brain and do some mental stimulation. Um, I'm going to, yeah, I'm just going to stop recording and start another audio because um, it's only lasting thirty minutes, and these episodes are getting quite long. So, next one. Um, Chris Cart. One of ours is hyper-focused and targets one of our neutered border collies. She's eight, he's ten. He weighs 20 pounds more and he's taller than she. He tries to ignore it, but she attacks him on sight. He defends himself, but never inflicts injuries. She's less restrained, though. No injuries have resulted. They're separated unless on lead. Can this problem be solved? Cod has been our family since he was close to one year old. Kira is a rescue. She's lived here for two years. Thank you for considering our concern. So, Chris, I think is one of those questions where the welfare of the dogs are in place. And um, your rescue dog sounds like she's probably gone through a bit of trauma. And it sounds like she's using your uh, other dog as a bit of a anti-stress kind of, kind of thing, like a you know, her anti-stress. So she's taking on him when she feels a bit stressed. Um, 
I can't tell you if it's been if it could be resolved because I don't have enough um I don't have enough information. I've not seen the dogs. I've not worked with you. And um, this is one of those cases, Chris, where you really need to see someone that understands body, understands dog's behavior, understands, um, you know, um, understands the, the, the proper science behind behaviors and can tell you exactly what's going on there, um, what she's going through um, and why she's doing exactly that. And then you have to have a plan in place where, you help her being relaxed in his presence first with barriers in between. Um, and yeah, I think you need you need a proper one-to-one -one training here. You know, the welfare of your 10-year-old dog is um, is very important. It shouldn't be attacked, and you probably know. And she's not feeling great if she's attacking him. There's something going on in her brain that makes her feel like she has to go for him. So that has to be addressed. Um, so I suggest really to reach out either to me or um, we have a behaviorist in the in the house, which is um, Rachel. Um, and um, yeah, if if you if you send me a message um, or Rachel um, Rogers, you can find her on the group. I reach out to her, either me or her, and then you know I'm happy to have a chat with you and we can see if I can help you or if I need to um, refer to someone else. But it's something that really needs one to one training. Um, Colleen Hope, coping with reactivity to motorbike and emergency service sirens. So this is the same, Colleen, as um, car chasing sort of behaviours, reactivity to movement and loud noises, which I've done a couple of episodes on, so I'm going to send you back to listen to those. If you still have more questions, of course, um, more specific questions after you've listened to those and you have uh, a bit more of an idea or plan of what you need, um, to help your dog doing that then of course um, you know ask again but really you'll find a lot of your answers um, to your questions in those episodes already. Irene useful topic for me would be noise sensitivity and dog on dog aggression again um, Irene um, yes noise sensitivity is something I'm going to talk about um, but mainly it's going to be on the colic club I might do an episode here on as well after we've done the colic club module because I can then tell you um, a bit more um, about practical stuff we've done. Um, and I've already discussed a bit about noise sensitivity in the previous part. And then the last one is Jessica, oh, dog to dog aggression, sorry, Irene. Um, again, it's a topic for an episode uh, itself, but it's very different if you're talking about dog-to-dog -dog aggression in the same household or if you're talking about dog-to-dog -dog aggression um, with outside dogs. So they are two bit different things. Now, Jessica Picker, helping my border collie not to be reacted to children. Other dogs are fine. Recall 100%. Stranger and great. Great off switch. Leash, leash off leash. Whatever you name it is perfect, but he hates kids. As far as I know, he has never had a bad experience with them, but when he sees children after playing or just standing waiting for the bus, he will growl and bark like a loon. He works well to redirect his attention and give him a task to be able to move past without incidents. But I don't want the habit to develop into a bigger problem. I don't have children, so obviously not a constant issue, but makes it hard to perceive and not reactive. Okay, Jessica. So the reactivity to children is the same as any other reactivity. So your dog is scared probably of children, doesn't understand them. My dog is the same. My 12-year-old is the same. And Jock is not 100% fond of them. Um, 
And the, the you know the, the 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 way I would work on it is of course the same way I would work with any activity is teaching the dog to disengage from children, teaching the dog to have a calmer um, emotions emotional state when children are about. Um, I would work the same exact program with following um, the control niche protocol. Look at that game, um, all the pattern games, and teaching the dog to uh, in interact with you and teaching the dog to report back with a look at that game to you when they see children instead of taking it on himself to tell those children I hate you um, mainly um, so yeah exactly the same way as I would teach any other activity which we talk about a lot in um, in the podcast but I have go I've got my list to do an episode on reactivity because a lot of the time you know you all ask the same question about activity and the answer is not exactly the same one but it's on the same note so um yeah i will make an episode talking about reactivity in general we already talk about it a bit when we talk about fear and anxiety in the episode fear and anxiety with um the clinical behaviorist that i hosted so please go back and look on that episode as well Okay, guys, we've made it at the end of these episodes. Um, I hope you enjoyed this week of answering your questions. And I try my best to answer your questions, but it's not always possible if I don't have enough details. And of course, without actually having seen your dog, sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm answering something that you think you're seeing, but it might not exactly what you're looking for. Um, and this is where dogs... Um, you know, knowing how to read dogs, it's important skill, knowing how to, you know, watch videos or watch the dog in person and 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 knowing and, and getting to know the dog um for example you know when i work on one-to-one -one students that are not coming to see me in person because they're too far from me to come and see me i ask them to send me as many videos as they can of their dogs doing good and bad behaviors so i can get to know them and i can actually read what they're actually trying to say to us um without having that visual even on the collie club when someone asks me a question about training issue they're going through I need to have a video as a response. Like majority of the time, I need to have a video because otherwise it's difficult for me to tell you exactly what's going on if I don't see the dog doing it. Um, because you perceive something that sometimes is not exactly what is the dog telling you. Um, good, well done for these questions. And I've wrote down everything that is going to become eventually an episode or a webinar. Um, I have a few webinars coming and um, I'll make sure that I will let you know uh, and I will link under the episodes, both episodes, um, the webinars that are coming. So you might find that something that if you ask me is actually going to be a webinar in the future. And anytime you need my help, you can reach out. I can book you, book you on a Zoom call. We can have a chat about your training and I can tell you what is the best solution for you. Um, sometimes it's not working with me. Sometimes it's going and seeing a vet behaviorist, sometimes it's going to see a clinical behaviorist, sometimes it's going to actually see someone in person um, that has different specialities than me. And that's why I give a time, a free, a free slot to talk to me, because it's not always me, the solution. Um, have a nice day, and I'll talk to you all very soon. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Border Collie Geek podcast. If you want to know more about my work and how I can help you with your Border Collie, visit 
that'll do academy.com or follow me on Facebook and Instagram.